Well, it's wonderful to be able to share God's Word with you. And um, I've been a little out of action for the past two months. I had a little uh, surgical procedure on my foot, which meant I could rest my foot up for at least uh, four weeks. And um, I think it was about two weeks ago I could finally put my feet into shoes. I only to discover none of my shoes fitted because my foot is still swollen. So what's a girl to do? Buy more shoes. <laughs> so I went out and bought a pair of shoes and uh, last week I was able to start driving. So I've been getting my freedom back. And, you know, it takes like a small thing like getting a toe fixed that you realise how much you rely on your toe. You know, it's amazing how much of your body, you need every part of your body functioning. And, and I guess, you know, there's a spiritual connotation to that as we are a body. We need one another and we need to be supporting each other. So this morning I'm going to preach a message and the title of the message is Catching Men. Now if I have any single female friends in this audience, you'll be happy to know this is not a how to date message. But I did think being a single female uh, preacher, I could use that title quite well to my advantage. But Catching Men actually comes from the week's reading. We've just done Harmony of the Gospels reading um, this week. And the focus of that week's reading was the call and commissioning of Jesus. And so I'm going to be focusing on that in this message. If you've been a Christian for some time now, you will know that Jesus commissions us. He commissions us to do what he did, and that is to preach the gospel, heal the sick, make disciples. In other words, to catch men and women for him. So commissioning is very, very focused on the works of Jesus. But before we're commissioned, there's a call first. There's a call to Jesus first, a call to be in relationship with him and as a side note this morning, I guess the most important thing to know is that everything we do for Jesus has to come out of relationship with Jesus first. If our works um, are done without Jesus, without a personal relationship with Jesus, they won't last because Jesus is interested in a relationship with him first and foremost. So as I was reading the week's um, reading in the Harmony of the Gospels, I wanted to really learn what does Jesus say? What does he do about calling people to himself? I wanted to learn something fresh. And because, you know, church, let's face it, there are many calls out there. People are being called to all sorts of things. People are being called to, yesterday I celebrated a friend's wedding. So people are being called to marriage and, to, and they're being called to start families. People are called to start new jobs. People are being called to start businesses, to do uh, inventions, to find inventions. People are called to save the planet, save animals, save people in war-torn countries. I, I, I can't even list the amount of things that people are called to do. We're not short of calls. People are busy. People are busy with lots of different calls. And quite, I think quite personally that they don't need another call. They almost need to slim down or simplify life. And so we know that lives are busy. People's lives are busy and they're distracted. You may have heard the term FOMO. If you've been around social media a little bit, you will have heard this expression FOMO, which means fear of missing out. 
And that's largely to do with the fact that social media, because we can see what, how people are living their lives, people are scared of missing out on what other people are doing. Now, I was reading recently, we have JOMO. That is joy of missing out. Now what we're seeing is that people are actually desiring to miss out. People are exhausted. They've had enough. They want to miss out. They're actually secretly looking forward to when people cancel plans. You know when you're about to catch up with a friend maybe for dinner and they ring you and at the last minute they say to you, oh, I'm so sorry, something's come up. I've got to cancel. And you're thinking, hallelujah, I can go home. Come on, who's been there? Anyone? Yep, I've been there. I've been there quite a few times. People are busy. They're looking for less things to do. And it's not even that they don't have purposeful lives. People have purposeful lives. So how are we going to reach those people with the call to Jesus? When I was reading this week's reading, Jesus made calling people almost look like a breeze. He'd almost like cruise on by John Travolta style. And then turn around and go, follow me. And people did. People stopped what they were doing and they went and followed Jesus. Then I look at John the Baptist. I love this. John the Baptist is talking to two of his disciples. He sees Jesus walking on by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And right there in the conversation, his two disciples leave him and go stalk Jesus. Jesus senses he's being stalked, turns around and says, what do you want? Well, that's a great question. Maybe I should ask my friends that. What do you want? He didn't even ask them to follow him. And these two disciples says, we want to follow you. I should try that with my friends. I should say, behold, the Lamb of God, and see if that will, they will follow Jesus. I'm, I'm guessing... If, you know, if I was living in first century Palestine and I was Jewish and I understood the sacrificial system of the atonement of sins, that might work. But today in Melbourne, secular Melbourne, I don't think that's going to work. So how am I going to reach my friends with this call to Jesus? How are you going to reach them to this call to Jesus? Well, I was looking at that and I was thinking... You know, people almost don't care. They don't actually care to, call, to follow Jesus. They think Jesus is some amazing historical figure from 2,000 years ago, but their relevance for today, they don't care about it. And I sometimes think, if only I can get my friends to church. If I can get them to church, then they will see and then they will follow Jesus. But sometimes people don't even want to walk into church. So we the church, need to work out how we're going to reach people with that call out there. I had all these questions running around in my head thinking, how are we going to do it, Lord? And I saw something in the week's reading that I hadn't seen before, and that was Simon Peter's call. I was fascinated by his call. You know, Simon Peter is the one who does everything first. He opens his mouth first. He walks on water first. He declares Jesus is the Christ first. He's the one who swears to protect Jesus from death first. What you might not know is that his call was actually a process. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at the encounters that Simon had with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Matthew 4. 
You know, it's important to remember when we read the Gospels that the Gospels are written by four different authors. Four different authors who have very different backgrounds and have also very different purposes when they're writing the Gospels. They almost draw on different things and highlight different things um, in Jesus' life and ministry. And if we were to start with Matthew and Mark's Gospels, you would, also, you would assume that Jesus' first encounter with Simon was at the lake. And we're going to read that now, the Lake of Galilee. So verse 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, there it is, they left their nets and followed him. In Mark's gospel, it's almost word per word identical. Same level of detail. There's actually not much more to the story than that. Jesus sees the two fishermen. He says his famous two words, follow me. They drop everything and they do. But I ask the question, is this truly the first encounter? If you were to read John's Gospel, John's Gospel actually records a different story that's not highlighted in the other Gospels. And he actually highlights that Andrew, Simon's brother, was a follower first. In John 1, verses 40 to 42, it says, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, was one of the, one of the two who heard what Simon had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So John's story actually re reveals that Andrew was a follower of Christ first. He was one of the stalkers that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. He was hanging out with John. John says, behold, the Lamb of God, and he goes and follows Jesus. He has a revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's so excited that he's had this revelation. The first thing he does is he goes and grabs his brother and brings him to Jesus. He wants him to meet Jesus. My sister was a bit like Andrew. My sister, Rena, when it was back in the 1970s, she came and um, came to faith, gave her life to Jesus in the Catholic Charismatic Revival. I was only a baby. And over the process of time, life commitments and the rest, Rena sort of stagnated in her faith. Then I'm about 19 years of age and Rena was invited by a friend of hers to a church and her faith got reignited and all of a sudden it was all about God and Jesus in our household. Rena was passionate and the first thing she wanted me to do was come to church with her. Well, church wasn't really on my radar, to be completely honest. I was 19. I was um, studying. I was going to nightclubs. I was working part-time jobs. Church wasn't really something I was thinking of doing. But I loved my sister and, you know, I wanted to appease her. So I agreed to going to one of these church services. But I dragged a friend for moral support. So my friend and I, Tanya, we were sitting in this church service and we were looking at each other going... Yeah, this is weird. To be completely honest, I felt so 
uncomfortable in that church service. It was all amen, praise you, Jesus, a bit like this morning, but I felt like a fish out of water. I didn't hear anything that the preacher said that day. I actually didn't even hear the call that he, he put out a call and said, there's someone here today who's suffering from a skin disorder. You've been suffering the skin disorder since, you know, pretty much birth. Come on out and we'll pray for healing for you. I didn't hear that call. My sister heard it. She told me about it later and I was astounded because that call was really meant for me. I had a skin disorder. I had eczema since the age of about one and it was all up my arms, on my hands, on my mouth. I had suffered this condition for many, many years. But something that day, my ears, even though I was present in the room, I heard nothing. I heard nothing of that call. All I remember of that day was sitting there and went up to my sister at the end and I said, look, I'm, I'm really glad you have a faith. It's wonderful, but it's not for me. Andrew takes Simon to Jesus and Simon receives this prophetic name change, which means rock. But there was no conversion that day. The second encounter that Simon has with Jesus is when Jesus comes to Simon's home. And this story is actually found in the three synoptic Gospels. Now, both Matthew and Mark position this story after the call at the Sea of Galilee. But Luke actually positions this story before the call at the Sea of Galilee, and I think that's important. I believe that the correct positioning is actually before the call. And the reason for that is Luke, who's the author of this book, he's very much into detail. He's a physician. And as the only non-Jew writing a gospel, and as well as the book of Acts, his whole purpose in those two books was to convince a Roman official that the Christian faith was based on historical facts. And so he would meticulously gather first-hand testimonies and actually write the gospel in the book of Acts. He was into detail. I love detail people. I live with, I think I'm a detailed person, but I also live with someone who's extremely detailed. And you know when you just, you, you tell a story and you, and you think you've got it, you've got the broad brush strokes of it, and then you have someone who goes, no, 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 no. It was this, and it's only like a small change, but that's really important to them. I picture Luke being a bit like this, very much into the detail. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Luke 4, we're going to read this together. Verses 38 to 39 is the second encounter. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So Jesus heads back to Simon's home and in other gospels it's Simon and Andrew's home. He heads back there and he finds that the mother-in-law is unwell and they ask him, and I think it was actually Andrew who asks Jesus to heal her. And he does. This miraculous miracle happens where the fever's departed. But not only that, she's well enough to actually serve them food. She, you know, Middle Eastern culture was very much about hospitality and, and offering food. And so 
this miracles occurred, Simon's witnessed it, they're eating. But there's no mention here that this was the point that Simon then started to follow Jesus. He's witnessed this miracle, but it wasn't enough for him to follow Jesus. And that's actually interesting in itself. Sometimes we think a miracle is what it takes for someone to witness and then they will follow Jesus. Well, not necessarily. Sometimes it can happen way after that. Simon has not only just been in the presence of Jesus, he's witnessed the glory and the power of Jesus, but he still hasn't converted. He still is not a follower. You know, and I relate to this also. Fast forward three years from when my sister invited me to her church, she plucked up the courage to actually invite me again to a church service where they were having a guest speaker. And this time I, I agreed to go, and, and I guess hindsight, I was in a different position. I was about to embark on a whole year's uh, travelling. It's the rite of passage here in Australia where young people go off and they travel backpacking around, you know, Europe or America. And I was about to do that. And so I had this amazing sense of anticipation and expectation that this year would be a year of destiny of some sort. And so I went along to this service and this guest speaker was speaking and this time I was hearing everything. Everything she was saying was like she was speaking to me. She was talking about God having a plan for your life and she shared how God had a plan for her life and rescued her from prostitution. Now let's just be clear, I wasn't relating to that part of her story. I was relating to how God had this destiny and plan for her, her life. And as she was speaking, tears were just streaming down my face and I had no clue as to why. And my sister Rena was looking at me and thinking, I'm sure she was thinking, this might be the moment. She's going to start following Jesus now. An altar call was given and no, I didn't follow Jesus. But I was moved. I was very moved by what I heard Fast track now, eight months into my trip, I find myself in a city in Italy. It's uh, Bologna. And I had about $800 to my name. And my plan was to stay another four months. Part of that plan was because I met an Italian boyfriend and I wanted to stay a little longer. But I knew I had to make some money fast because $800 wasn't going to see me through four months. And so I was, I was at a hostel in Bologna and I decided the next day I was going to go door knocking at different places and ask for a job. And I did. I knocked on so many doors. At the end of the day, I felt so dejected. I think the Italians, and I should know Italians because I am Italian, but they must have looked at me, looked at my sneakers, looked at my backpacker clothing and looked at me with the same disdain that probably the people did who had le leprosy in Jesus' day. I was unclean in their eyes. They didn't want me at all. And so I was standing there dejected and going, what am I going to do? And I look ahead and there's this church. Well, of course there's a church. I'm in Italy. There's churches everywhere. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to walk into this church. What have I got to lose? I walked in, kneeled at this hard pew and prayed a very, very simple prayer, pretty much God, I need a job. I kind of waited. I did wait on God. But there was no lightning bolt moments. There was no warm, fuzzing feelings. So I thought, well, to elongate this, present, this moment so it doesn't look like I just need something from God, I'll go light a candle. So I went and lit a candle. And then I thought, okay, well, 
hmm, I'll go now. So I left, caught the bus back to my hostel. And I walked into the hostel and the owner's son, who would have no clue at all anything about me or what I needed, came up to me and said, by any chance, do you need a job? Now, coincidence? Maybe. But in that moment, I knew it wasn't. I actually knew in that moment that God had answered my prayer. Did that make me a follower of Jesus right then? No, not yet, but very much closer to it. Simon's third encounter of Jesus is at the lake. And again, it's Luke's gospel that reveals far more to this story than what we read in Matthew or Mark. If you turn over a page in your Bibles, we're going to read from Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. In other translations, it says that the people were pressing into Jesus. In other words, people were so hungry for the word of God, they were pressing into him. I asked the question, where's Simon in amongst that? He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I love this. Jesus comes to Simon's workplace. It's this workplace, the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus begins to preach right there. But where's Simon in the midst of it? He's not part of the crowd that's pressing in to hear the word of God. Simon is distracted. Simon is focused in cleaning his net. Simon has just had a whole night's fishing and a pretty miserable one night of fishing, uh, not to mention it. He's probably sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? You know, if business continues to slow down like this, how am I going to make mortgage payments? How am I going to pay the bills? Maybe I need to change businesses. But if I do that, what, what am I going to turn to? At my age right now, what am I going to do? And I've invested everything into this fishing business. And this fishing business is not just my business. I'm in this with the Zebedee boys as well. So what am I going to do? He's focused. He's distracted. He's not thinking about Jesus preaching. But Jesus, all of a sudden, gets his attention. Out of all the boats on that Uh, lake that day, he chooses Simon's boat and he asks Simon, would you row me out so I can preach further? You know, if he rows further out, his voice will carry over the water. And I imagine right then Simon's probably too focused, but he doesn't want to be rude. You know, he's had Jesus in his home. Jesus has healed his mother-in-law. Andrew thinks the world of him. He doesn't want to be rude, so he thinks, okay, I'll row him out. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. I'd love to know what Jesus actually preached that morning. Nothing's recorded. It's like we've missed this whole gamut of wisdom. Nothing was recorded about what he was preaching. It's almost like it it doesn't matter. Jesus finally gets Simon's attention in the moment when he tells him to drop his net. Now, as a professional fisherman, there's one thing Simon knows. It's fishing. This is what he knows. This is his business. And then all of a sudden, Jesus 
this carpenter slash rabbi slash maybe a messiah asks him to drop his net. I imagine Simon's thinking, well, if you knew anything about fishing, you'd know this isn't the time of day to be fishing. If you're going to fish, you fish at night. But I believe there was something in the way Jesus said it. There was a challenge maybe. Simon felt the challenge and he decided to step out in faith and go, okay, let's, let's test this. Let's test what you're thinking. When they had done so, they, brought, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled, up, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Yay. Finally, Simon follows Jesus. An incredible miracle has occurred but the miracle is actually that Simon has finally come to a place of a revelation of who Jesus is. He's had it revealed to him. And he's so ready now that he drops everything. He drops that business that he was so concerned about. He drops it to go and follow Jesus. And let's not think, church, that there wouldn't have been ramifications for doing that. There would have been absolute ramifications but I asked, what was it about that day? Was it the way Jesus said it? I purely believe it was just a build-up to other encounters with Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't force anyone to believe him or follow him. He waits because he desires personal connection with you and I. He wants us, but he wants us to want him too. And because of that, he's so incredibly patient. If it's going to take one encounter, three, five, ten, twenty, fifty, whatever it will take, Jesus will continue to reveal himself to you, to your friends and family, to show that he loves and he cares. He will get into, the, into your boat, your mess, your stuff, and he will meet you where you're at. He will reveal himself no matter how many times it takes. And I love this because he also cares about what concerns us. You know, Simon's focus was elsewhere. But Jesus revealed to him that he was caring about what was concerning him. He drew up the hugest catch of fish that day and showed to Simon, I care about what concerns you. And Jesus is still doing this today. Every time you and I pray, care for, love, encourage, build up, any act of love that we do with our family and friends, people we work with, we're revealing Jesus because Jesus is working through his body, you and I. And each time we do that, we're chipping away. We're chipping away defences, mindsets, barriers, and we're revealing the pure heart and love of God. That's what happened to me. You know, I stepped off 
four months after my trip at Tullamarine Airport off a flight, not a woman full of destiny and excitement of purpose, quite contrary actually. I was broken hearted and very confused about what the future held. And there my sister Rena was at the airport and I hugged her because I hadn't seen her for a year. And the first thing I said to her was, I need to go to your church. She was like, what? (laughs) I had come to that place where I knew I needed God more than anything else. I knew that he had the answers for me. And I believe that's what happened for Simon that day. He drew up a net, not just a fish, he drew up a net glimpsing into the father heart of God, of pure love, and he wanted more. And so I want to encourage you, church, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary for the people that you pray for, for the people that you're loving, for the people that God places across your path, for every word of encouragement you give, because it's chipping away at defences and barriers and mindsets and I believe, removing a veil of blindness so that people can see Jesus. You know, coming to Jesus is, I'd love it to be an instant thing, but often it's a process. It's a process of God wooing us, pursuing us, and then us finally going, yes, I want this. I'd like to do something a little different this morning. I would love for us to pray in groups. I'd love for us to pray for people that maybe don't know Jesus, that you may be believing for. And I would like us to break into groups to do that. But before I explain how we're going to do that, I want us just to wait on God for about 30 seconds or so. Because I believe we all probably have lots of people that we can pray for. But in this moment right now, I would like us to ask God, who's the one person that we need to carry that person into God's presence, that that person God needs to meet right now. And so we're just going to take that time to hear who is the one person that God impresses upon your heart, and then we're going to pray for that person in groups, and I'll explain how we do that. Sound good? All right, so if I can ask you just to close your eyes, and we're just going to wait. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that our prayers are powerful and effective, and they do not return to us null and void. Father, I thank you that in the name of Jesus, the names that we profess, the names of Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, God our healer, I thank you every name that you are meeting those people where they are at right now. We thank you, Lord, that veils are being removed in Jesus' name. We pray that each person has an encounter with you, that, Lord, they would have a revelation of your love, your purpose and plan, which is good to bring a hope and to bring a future. And so, Father, we just leave these people with you. And I just thank you for every person here who's prayed a prayer. We just pray encouragement over this body right now in the name of Jesus. Anyone who's felt disappointed and despaired, I thank you, Lord, you are not slow in keeping your promise. I thank you that your promises are yes and amen. And so we entrust that to you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful.